following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. Hey, yo! But the cream will rise to the top. With your smile! I like that intro song so much, we get to listen to it twice. Very excited, very excited. The best intro song in the business. <laughs> Hands down. Let's get that started. <laughs> All right. So um, we, a little over a week ago, recorded our pre-watch show for Halloween Havoc 1989. And uh, Some things have happened in the last week. Nah, it's been a pretty slow week. Pretty quiet. Especially locally. Especially locally. Nothing's really gone on at all. Yeah, the Philadelphia area, including our great landscapers in the Northeast, have been pretty quiet and nothing national has gone on. Nothing at all. Except for maybe like a union game. Just a light bye week. Just a nice quiet week with, you know, not a lot of action. Nothing on social media at all. Catch up on my reading. I, I, I watch some movies. I watch some movies. Good ones. Good ones, as yeah. a matter of fact. Yeah. 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 Little, little Malcolm X action. Little Malcolm X action. So. Solid Mal- film. Malcolm out of X. Denzel. Yeah. When is that from? Like 1990, like three or four? I feel like I was. Young. It was. It was it was in when I was in school, so yeah, yeah around. And I've, I've never seen it before. Those um, three-hour movies didn't really appeal to me as a teenager. I'm gonna keep Milwaukee's it. Best, on the other hand, very, very appealing. A little bit of the Beast, a little bit of the Beast. Yeah, three-hour epics, not so much. There is a breaking point for like what is an acceptable movie length to sit to like watch in one sitting. Sitting, yeah. I think it's two and a half. I think, yeah, I think two and two and a half is like, and that's even pushing it because, like, if you went to see it in a theater, you're there for three plus, right? Between the previews and you know, well, now oh, it's yeah. not as bad because you can pick your seat in advance. But back in our day, when you had to get there a little early to get your seat, make sure you get seats together. And I didn't even get a seat that time. <laughs> Sat in the aisle. Oh, all, good times, good times. All for the water boy. Um, so we have this epic 1989 classic. WCW. Live from the Philadelphia Civic Center. So WCW... Cause, cause it seemed like they were trying to do like a co-branding thing with NWA at this time. They were like some type of section of the NWA. The NWA was like around the world, and WCW was—I don't know what they were trying to do, but I know Turner bought it in '88. Right, because they're still. So this was before the official cutting off of the NWA. Because they're still using NWA titles. Jim Ross, who we'll get to, um, is mentioning NWA and WCW in the same breath, and it's kind of hard to know where one stops and one begins. It's almost like we do with WWF, WWE. Well, it's like it will, you know, will always be WWF to me. Damn it! <laughs> and it should have stayed that way. 
The pandas. <sighs> Any hooser. Correct me if I'm wrong because I could also just be pulling this out of nowhere. Did they lose that because Vince actually tried to stop the, the non-profit WWF from using that and then lost? I think they won, actually. I think they sued... The World oh. Wildlife Fund sued them. Oh, I thought it was reversed. I thought the World Wrestling Federation sued the World Wildlife Fund. I could be wrong as well, but if memory serves, it was the other way around. Ah, okay. And, and actually won. So, I guess they they were around longer, because it was always the WWWF until, like, the early 80s. And that's when you don't realize, like, it doesn't matter which company started first it would have mattered which company started using the abbreviation first so one company could have been in existence sooner and just not use the abbreviation um just we had gone through some trademark stuff at, at work and it was interesting to learn so it's a lot of legalities involved that well, I didn't know. Yeah, and it's a lot of just proving, like especially when it comes to taglines, because for, for both these are these these are um, it's just a three letter abbreviation, and it really depends who started using the three letter abbreviation first. Because it's not like their logos are similar, and it's not like they're using a similar tagline. It's literally just the abbreviation. Right, and I think going back, like they could, they almost. They used to bleep out the WWF, but they could show the, the symbol. Yeah. So I think they backed away a little now. They've well, used because it's a little tensions. silly. It's yeah, little it's, silly. it's a little much. Yeah, it's like when they went to Spike TV. It was just that this is – it. it, it uh, WWF belongs on USA. Always. You know. Always. The, the, flag, the flagship. Yep. Watch and Monday Night Raw – catch silk stockings afterwards that was and, 14 year old JG and piggybacking off that a little bit Cody Rhodes is actually allowed to use his last name now he was introduced for the first time as Cody Rhodes at Saturday night's pay-per-view <laughs> it used to be just an awkward Cody yeah I'm just uh, yeah he's like Cher yeah it's it's so awkward when he they would announce him as just Cody and everybody knows his name is Cody Rhodes but his real name is Cody Runnels, Runnels so yeah. he's unable to use it, which is interesting as well. Um, so now that we've gone down this um, weird um, rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> A rabbit hole of legality, which I'm sure we want to get into. I'm, sh- I'm sure we're putting butts in seats for that one. Um, so I'm going to start right off the bat. Interviewer Chris Cruz definitely did not fit what you you or I were expecting. Very nervous. Almost his first time on camera. And unlike my first time when I predicted 98-2 Eagles victory, he was less smooth. (laughs) He was not there from a night at Fluke's Tavern. Not at all, my friend. Very, very nervous. Very nervous and unpolished. They so, just throw them out there on a pay-per-view like that. Um, I will also say Jim Ross came off a bit nervous. This was young Jim Ross. Very Probably, young. you know, like very early in the national scene, maybe a year or two in. Because he was always a, a more of a regional announcer. 
But it could be just the tuxedo choking his neck, too. Guy loves colleges, huh? Man, I got an education on an education of everybody who wrestled that, that evening. Loves him some colleges. Loves reading the back of a guy's baseball card. Oh, my God. Um, so we'll start with the matches and we'll go in. We'll, we'll make sure we bring up some Jim Ross stuff as we go. Sounds delicious. So we start the night off with Tom Zank versus Mike Rotunda. Now, Tom Zank, when he was nine years old, he played T-ball, a tremendous athlete. <laughs> so um, when we had talked about the pre-show, you, you hit the nail right on the head, and I think we talked about this a little bit, very briefly. Tom Zank, um, we believe, ends up back in, or in WCW because of a contract dispute with WWF. Tom Zank is a WWF-style wrestler. 100%. Body guy, good-looking guy, total WWF wrestler. Um, leaves a lot to be desired, uh, and uh, with his in-ring work, um, Mike Rotunda really carries him. Well, Mike Rotunda, as we know now, was a huge amateur wrestler at Michigan. I mean, so I, brought that up, but Mike Rotunda is a solid hand. He's, um, Mike Rotunda for a thirteen-minute match. Mike Rotunda really carried this match. A little bit too long for two guys that weren't really over at the time. It's about 11 minutes and 20 seconds too long. Yeah, they just they didn't seem... The crowd was like, yeah. The crowd meant it with me. Um, they, would, they, would, they would come alive later on in the show. Yes, there is... We'll, we'll get there. Um, because there's a bit of a build. I will say... Um, cause the, the, but when this match goes off, the, the building's a little empty. It is, which was really like, they showed it, which they don't get really, it. They, no, they, no. they could never do that now. <laughs> yeah. Big no, no, now. No, no, no. That, that could, that's fireable. <laughs> no show the empty seat row seven. <laughs> You cannot show empty seats. Nuh-uh. But, yeah, there were sections, sections of empty seats, actually, in the Civic Center. So it actually makes a lot of sense that you kind of had your curtain yank when the building's not that full. Because your you're wrestlers later on are, are who's really putting butts in seats. So Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Philadelphia, I'm sure 95 was getting worked on back in 89 still, so... There was traffic back then, too. Probably still fixing the same spot that they were in 95. Not any spot. Not a Greek spot. Their spot. That spot. Um, so there's not really... I mean, Tom Zank gets the win, um, but there's not really much to break down that that much about this. Um, it's, a, it's a lukewarm starter. Think like lukewarm spaghetti in a microwave. Yeah. Like you can eat it You're not happy about it You're not happy about it So um, Then we go to The Samoan SWAT team um, Before we get to that match I believe there's an interview with the living legend Bruno San Martino Oh just which is oozing charisma NWA 
WWF stalwart in an NWA ref uniform. Very weird to it, see. It was an odd, an odd, even an odd deliverance of. I mean, it's smart by WCW, right? They they're bringing in a northern guy into their show. Oh yeah, right. Like, Absolutely. Very good business decision. Um, but not a very great interview. No, no, he was not a great interview, but he did sell at the Madison Square Garden for about seven and a half years. Yeah. So there's something to be said about that. Uh, look, maybe we've got to pull up some of that old footage because we're not getting yeah. the, the explanation here. You, you didn't have to, you didn't have to be a good interview back then. No, you didn't, especially in this promotion. I will yeah. say, um, and as we go on, we can we can pull it apart more because it's not really all that fair to bring this up before we get to the next match but um, this promotion I think is easier to watch without needing the um, build up shenanigans you know like these are matches that tell the story in the match and absolutely and I, I like the fact that they or Jim Ross rather kept calling it a sport rather than they call it a business nowadays, which yeah. is it. It doesn't make you want to suspend this disbelief whatsoever. No, it, it it actually does the reverse, right? It it kind of makes it a little bit. It turns you off, you know. Yeah. Like it's like nobody wants to see John McClane and Hans Gruber shake hands and hug after the movie. You know what I mean? Well, not when there's right, right. Like we don't mind. I don't mind it in in sports because we know that sports are sports, right? Like, yeah. but when these guys are like putting on a fake fight, I don't want them to. The whole time, I, I'm being preached to that. You know, like I want it when I buy a ticket like, to a movie. I want to turn my phone off and absorb the movie and put myself into it. I don't want to see the green screen. You know. Right. You don't want. You know talking in a camera with a wink and a nod like Van Wilder or Ferris Bueller or something to that effect. A little too cutesy. Yeah, a little too cutesy. And calling it a sport rather than a business comes off as more genuine and authentic, I feel. I, I agree, but I also am going to say this, and this is not a knock against the guys who are wrestling now because the guys who are wrestling now are probably the most athletic of anybody who's ever wrestled, you know, like who's ever gotten in a ring. Oh, yeah, it, it's it's evolved into what it is now, and it's incredible, but, but it's not what it was. It was fair to even make sure you hit those points here because all of, other than a few guys on this card, most of these guys are athletes first, wrestlers second. And that was like the big difference when I started watching this and I kind of text you right away was that's what it felt like. It felt like WCW invested in going into colleges, Mr. Jim Ross, or, or getting guys at, after their college um, sporting careers were over and, and providing them this avenue. Where the WWS philosophy was like, I'm going to get a guy that looks good, teach him how to do a few things, and that will work too. It's almost like athletes. Athletes, legitimate athletes versus bodybuilders. Right, and um, you can see how I feel like with that you could do what the what WCW like. It's just two different philosophies. Like, and both companies had different philosophies, not just in in the way that they scoured for talent, but also in what talent and how they wanted to put it put it over. You know, and right. 
Um, you got w- this. W- Go ahead. Uh, WWF was basically a babyface champion promotion, while the NWA had a heel champion. So that's another different aspect of it as well. Right. And my, my feeling is um, one is when uh, the heel can doesn't need the microphone. The heel can be the heel without it, um, just by their actions in the ring. And I feel like that's really where what WCW was doing here was this was all about what happens in the matches. It was not about who can scream the loudest on the microphone. Wasn't a lot of Gaga, as the great Freddie Mercury would say. Yeah, it was not Radio Gaga. Yeah. So, um, after I'm gonna make as many Queen, many queen references as possible on a wrestling podcast. <laughs> Don't stop me now, Billy. Ah, uh, we are the champions, my friend. <laughs> so, after our um, interview with Bruno San Martino, we are treated to the Samoan SWAT team, um, which is Fatu, the Samoan Savage, and Samu. Um, against Midnight Express with Dr. Death Death Steve Williams. Who is an Oklahoma All-American. First team All-American out of Oklahoma. He's a boomer sooner. <laughs> um, I will say that Bobby Inn felt like the highlight, like the best kind of wrestler in this match to me. And I, you know, like we've made jokes. I'm not the biggest Midnight Express fan. Um, but Bobby and definitely the the of the six men involved in this match. If but if Bobby Eaton could talk a little more, or a lot more rather, he would have been a much bigger star. I feel. And Arn Anderson says the same thing. And a funny story. Nope. Oh, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You're you're my you're something going on your phone. Hello. Uh-oh, really? There, there you go. Hello. You're good now. You're good now. All right. So Arn Anderson has Bobby Eaton over. They're great friends. They live a block apart. And uh, he invites him over for dinner. Might have been like a pre-Thanksgiving. That's besides the point. But you know how you go over to dinner, and you know no matter how good, bad, or indifferent the cooking is, you go, oh, it's great, awesome, can't get enough. So, so he mumbles. Bobby Eaton mumbles a lot, and you can't really tell what he's saying. So... Arn Anderson's wife goes, hey, Bobby, how do you like the meal? Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> Arn Anderson's like, she still brings it up to this day. <laughs> so Bobby yeah. Eaton was, was the most charismatic guy in the room, but a solid wrestler. Very good wrestler. Very good wrestler. Beautiful Bobby and is the highlight of this match. You know, the big kahuna was not. Uh, Stan Lane? No, the big kahuna, Sir Oliver Humperdinck. Uh, uh, yes, no, he is not. Ginger Captain Lou Albano. He was really trying hard there. Oof. It's like somebody died Captain Lou Albano red. Yeah, it was It was tough. Talk about gimmick infringement. Oof. He was trying. He was, you know, we'll give me E for effort, but... Not I guess. I always remember Paul Heyman with the Simones, but I, 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 where the hell was he? Uh, not here. He saved himself from this. 
the big kahuna. Oliver Humperdinck. Awful. Awful. Should have never left Florida. <laughs> so, um, the Samoan SWAT team, not a bad heel team. Um, a little much with the tongue out stuff and, you know. That's the whole Samoan gimmick, though. Yeah, I know. 70s and 80s Samoan gimmick. But good, good heel t- team. They were a good heel team. I just believable, believable. Um, the the other the the more face tag team of of uh, Midnight Express and Steve Williams. Uh, Doctor Death doesn't really. I don't know. Doesn't do it for me. He's not he's not very charismatic as well, but a legitimate badass. He was, uh, yeah. he was major league in Japan. Just this, it just whatever they were doing here did not. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know how early or late he was in the wrestling at this point. Like maybe a little soon. Um, he was much bigger in Japan. Him and Terry Gordy, they like ruled Japan for years. But he didn't. It never translated over to the states. It just didn't work. Much. Yeah, it just didn't really work. And I and uh, you update know, on Paul Heyman. He was actually fired by Ric Flair. Uh, I just found that out. For being uncooperative, believe it or not. No. No way. Apparently, he went off script during a TV taping, and Ric Flair, who was a booker and big time, had enough. Paulie so dangerously. Paul, Paul Heyman, uncooperative. Difficult to work with. I don't buy it. Erroneous. Erroneous on both counts. You know what else? Maybe is part of it with Steve Williams is he goes by Doctor Death and there isn't a like a gimmick follow through there, like he he doesn't have a chokehold that's like you know maybe killing you or there's like okay you're Doctor Death but why you're throwing shoulder when blocks I, I mean when I think Doctor Death I think David Schultz yeah it's just I'm not sure if you're familiar with that uh, dark that dark side of the ring. Uh, I mean, I'm familiar with the dark side of the ring, but I do not know who you're referring to. I mean, I've only seen it one time, so. He was phased out in 83, so you might want to go back on the old Hulu and watch that episode. You you ever hear a reporter called John Stossel, named John Stossel? Yeah. He slapped the bullshit out of him. Uh, Yeah. It's a watch. It's a highly recommended watch. It's a great story. And Dr. Death was pretty much blackballed from the wrestling industry after that. Um, yeah, it's like... I, I just... I feel like there's got to be some gimmick there. If you're going to go by Dr. Death, there's got to be some gimmick there. And and the throwing shoulder blocks and three-point stance stuff isn't really working. Well, that's because he was a defensive lineman for Oklahoma. <laughs> He's a boomer sooner. Oklahoma uh, first team All-American. He started wrestling when he was just 17 while still playing football. Jesus Christ. I forget which match it is that Jim Ross just can't get out of his own way and just keeps having verbal diarrhea everywhere. It's a lot of information. Oh my god! A lot of information coming at you. And he started like stuttering and then couldn't catch himself, but he had to get the point out. And it just the payoff wasn't worth how long it took for him to get it out of there. He was, he was worse. I I bitched and complained about 
um, the McMahon of this kind of era, Jim Ross was more unbearable. I love me some Jim Ross. It's just he doesn't he doesn't let gimmicks go. He it's did, like somebody's always got to be real. He di- also just didn't like he didn't put it all together yet. No, you know, absolutely. Like, and this is well just, before the Attitude Era. Well before he would come into his own. Yeah. He was just trying to give you information, information, information. Oh my God. Almost, almost like it was a baseball game that had to fill air time. I feel like I was going to have to take a test on on these guys. <laughs> You're not far off. You know, like, Jesus Christ. Like, I don't need to know that dynamic dudes have the, their college degrees going, going a little bit in the future in our future matches. So, um, let's get to that. Let's get to that match. Yeah. So next we have Tommy Rich versus the Cuban Assassin. Not much to be said about this one. Eight and a half minutes. Could have been three minutes. Um, I don't think neither of these two were over in Philadelphia. Tommy Rich would become over in Philadelphia in his late, ECW. Right. That, that, but that's, I mean, you're talking about, that's Eight a little, years. yeah, that's a little ways away. These um, two were, these two were, in a region they shouldn't have been in. No, this might have worked in the south. Tommy Rich almost at this point because the next the guy in the next match, Tommy Rich feels like a, a poor man's Michael Hayes. Almost, almost you're right, but Michael Hayes was over like Rover in Philly. I said a poor man's, you know, like yeah, very poor man's. You know, he's the but old you... old Bay Fries of of this city. And Jim Ross went into Cuban Missile Crisis in this match. Did you hear that? I I, I mean, how could you not? He, there was not a in 1960 we cut off relations to Cuba, and I'm not being funny. He brought up the 1960 like Cuban thing. I'm like, oh my god, I can't I can't deal with this anymore. I feel like I'm in class. Yeah. I'm yeah, like, it's it just was... a kind of Cuban gimmick. He's probably Italian. Can we let this go? <laughs> I will say, for the Cuban assassin and what you think of wrestling at this area, it wasn't like culturally that bad. You know, reading this, I thought he'd come out dressed like Fidel Castro or something. Well, he had the camouflage pants on, but yeah, I but that's not that bad. It, it wasn't over the top bad. But I didn't need to know what happened with JFK yeah. back in 1960. You're not uh, trying just, to relearn your American history, my friend. Just trying to root for Tommy Rich. <laughs> um, so speaking of, our next match is the um, fabulous Freebirds, Jimmy Garvin and Michael P.S. Hayes versus the dy- Dynamic Dudes. And... Um, yeah. <laughs> the dynamic dudes. Two two East Coast guys and gotcha. neither of them could skateboard, so stick them with a skateboard. Yeah, make them carry it down. Carry it down, yeah, exactly. Um, Put them with Burnett. Yeah, who's a southern guy. Two two western surfers who are supposed to be from the west. Hold on, we're losing you again. There we oh, go. Boy. There we go. Sorry, we're having technical difficulties. We'll get through it. Yeah, we always do. 
But yeah, I didn't really need to know that dynamic dudes had, you know, bachelor's degrees either. No. He, but he, I mean, was, he was saying Shane Douglas was a teacher well before the dean. Douglas I was just going to say, it, it was good to know he was actually educated because he's going to be a dean in just a couple short years. Oh, he's a legit teacher. That That's his real-life job, Shane Douglas. Was his real-life job, right? Was his real-life job, yeah. But, yeah, I didn't, didn't need to know all that, Jim. But thanks. I thought they were just two surfers from L.A. No, skateboarders. Completely ruined that gimmick. Uh, um, Michael Hayes, yes, over like to a, a ridiculous amount. They were not the heels in this match as they were supposed to be. Oh no! Oh no! no. They, they got might might have been the biggest pops of the night. No, no, but I mean that. The first biggest pops of the Yes, game. yes. Yeah. Uh, to this point, yes. To this point. Little Mike, tongue tied. Yeah, little Jim Ross action. Oh, my God. It's a football. Oh, they got the biggest pops of the night. Oh, my God. My God, he got an A-plus first honors in Pittsburgh. <laughs> Damn it, Jim. <laughs> so, speaking of which, Jim's uh, co- co-announcer... Um, Bob Caudle, uh, man of many words. Poor guy could not get a word in as rice. That's why they, know, they call him the best play-by-play man in the game for nothing, folks. <laughs> well, Jim, Jim Ross is trying to be play-by-play and color and third mic. He's trying to be Joey Styles in ECW, the one-man booth. <laughs> so, um, this match... Again, it's 11 and a half minutes. It's a good match. You know, but it's a bit, again, a bit long. Yeah. I like the fact that Cornette grabbed the mic and asked the crowd to give the dudes a round of applause and they just got booed. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, come on. <laughs> we don't no like wonder, being told. No wonder Shane cursed out the Philadelphia audience every month five years later. <laughs> we don't like being told what to do. Absolutely not. To this day. No, right. So um, you can only see Michael Hayes moonwalk and, and shimmy, but for so long. You know, like 11 and a half minutes. And the fabulous Freebirds were the first ones in wrestling history to use an intro song. Uh, yes. That's we, legit, by the way. We got that um, fact much later in the night, right? It just seemed a lot of facts. There's a lot of facts thrown at me. And I watched this three, four days ago, and it stuck with me somehow. Um, This is about where I paused um, for, you know, like I had to watch this over three three different watches. That's fair. We live busy lives. Yeah. (laughs) But this is about where I paused it for the first time. There was some things going on in the nation this Just last a couple. Weekend, so. Just a couple. Just a few. Um, so then we get a tag team match. So that match was a title match, and then it is not the biggest tag team match of the night. There's a lot of tag team matches, it's, again, going back to the list stylistic differences between the two companies. Yeah, we got one singles match. Or two. 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 No, three. Three. 
Zank Rotunda, Tommy Rich, and then Luger and Pillman. I tried to forget the Tommy Rich Cuban assassin match. Yeah, I can understand why. Um, so then we get um, Doom against the Steiner brothers. The worst interview, maybe, in wrestling history, the Steiner brothers. Ooh. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go to what Rick Steiner was implying. <laughs> I don't know what he was trying to say, but whatever he was, he gonna... was trying to say, it didn't come across well at all. It doesn't age well. <laughs> I think he was talk, talking about breaking woman's back, Bubba. Oh my God! I'm gonna give it to her. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it to her. <laughs> what did he just say? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Oh man, and Scott Steiner not much better to rescue that. No, he would not be the big Papa Pump back then because he was just a stuttering mess. Um, and if you didn't know by their jackets, they come from Michigan. I was not sure if they were wrestlers at Michigan. A lot of singlets in in WCW at this time. It felt almost like you know. Like a I legitimate went, amateur wrestling event. Yeah, like I went to a Big Ten wrestling tournament. A little bit more people there. Just a, just a little bit. So, um, Jim Ross was very impressed with the size of Doom. Doom was really put together. And I, I don't think there was a match. You might not have been able to put together a match between four guys that were tougher. Because they're all tough. Yeah, they're all, yeah. I, I'd have to agree with you there. This match didn't feel, this is a, one of the longer matches of the nights, and it did not feel that long. Two great tag teams. I always, I always like both of them. Steiner's and Doom. Yeah. Managed by the beautiful woman. Uh, and they did mention Kevin Sullivan, even though he wasn't there. So I was curious when we did the pre-watch what was going on there with Kevin Sullivan because I expected him to be part. But Yeah, apparently Woman played the role of a fan that I did not know, but doing my research. Ah. And she meeting with Rick Steiner. I don't know why. So that, that, that would explain the heat between the two. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. so that's why he... Insinuate what he was going to insinuate. Yeah, gonna grab her and give it to her. Give it to her. What? Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, and again, not a not a knock, uh, but just Scott Steiner not good enough on the microphone to rescue whatever it was they were trying to do with Rick. Hey, I, I got nothing there, buddy. I, I wouldn't put a mic in front of it. There doesn't need to be like a script. I'm not saying that, but somebody's got to take the lead and give them bullet points. Because he'll go off in the weeds. Damn some deliverance weeds he went off on. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. So this, this to, to this point was, you know, the, the best match even though it's the longest. I didn't feel like I was being, you know, having my teeth pulled for 10 of the 15 minutes. Very good match. So um, then we go to Lex Luger and Brian Pillman. Who we Another got... great match, I felt. 
it was very good. It was very good. I, I could have done without hearing of, again about their um, T-ball statistics and, um, you know, how they did in recess kickball. Both ex-NFL wrestlers. And then, and then he talked about how, like, Lex Luger played for, like, I don't know, whatever the Canadian Football League would have been of this time. I think it was still the Canadian Football League. Did he play? Did he actually play? I, I was trying to be a little cutesy. Um, was it the Canadian team that he talked about? I thought it was, like, one of, like, a smaller... Um, Pillman actually played with the Bengals. I remember that. I know that Pillman played for the Bengals. I'm talking about Luger. And Luger, I believe, played for like played the Argonauts or something. Oh, Toronto Argonauts could be. Could very well be correct. Um, but anyway, yeah, two um, Lex or, or Luger, you kind of remember him as just being, I don't know, slamming Yokozuna. But you forget when he was a little bit younger, he actually could wrestle. He, this might have been one of his better matches that I've ever watched. Well, I feel like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like Pillman is a little bit like Shawn Michaels in that I think that he could carry a suitcase through a match. Such a shame we never got to see Pillman in his prime. Yeah. Car accident, pills, and it's a shame. It really, it really is just such a talent, you know, Um, and you can see it here. Oh, absolutely. High-flying, exciting, charismatic, great look to him. It's, um, it's just a shame. Yeah, so you get this match for 16.50, almost 17 minutes. But again, doesn't feel... I don't feel like I did earlier in the night where I felt like, you know, that 18-minute Samoan SWAT team match was... Whew, that was much. And you're getting you're way. getting much better. There's yeah. there's building. They're building now. Yep. So that brings us into the Road Warriors, which I didn't realize they were doing like both tag team names. Legion Road of Warriors Doom, and Legion of Doom. Yeah. Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors. Well, Legion of Doom was Paul Paul Ellering's stable, and they oh. were in the Doom. So then they they kind of just disbanded. I believe at one time Jake Roberts was in the Legion of Doom. I remember. I remember Paul Ellering being attached to Jake Roberts. Yeah. So that was like the name of his stable. Gotcha. That makes sense. Precious Paul Ellering, by the way. Precious Paul Ellering. Very, very strange, but educated man. Um. And they take on the skyscrapers, which is Dan Spivey and Sid Vicious, who come out with Teddy Long. Um, and I'll tell you what; those two men are so big. For a second there, I thought that we had a little person valet. I had forgotten it was Teddy Long, because um, that's how small he looked compared to those guys. They were those skyscrapers, big boys in the ring, big nasty guys in the ring. There, this was a good Sid match. See, I told you you're coming around. Well. I don't want to get. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But this was a good Sid match, and the, it was a good brawling type tough match. The Road Warriors got by far the biggest pop of the night. That's why they call it the Road Warrior Pop. Like I feel, I felt like you could hear it. You know, like you could feel that how loud it was. 
people were waiting on it almost all night, it felt. All night, and there's a lot of long matches before this match comes on. Yeah, correct. And we found out that they were also bouncers, the Road Warriors. Yes, they were bouncers, and I'm sure it was the most peaceful bar in Chicago. Unlike that Roadhouse bar that Patrick Swayze bounced at. <laughs> um, but this was... This was um, Probably the perfect length of time. It was good from bell ring to bell ring. Just a classic late '80s tag team tough match. Brawl. You get a you get a foreign object at the end. You get classic wrestling like tag team tropes with missed tags, hot tags. Um, it had it all. The DQ finish though. That's all right. It was all right. I was fine with the DQ finish. Yeah, because it's not overused. It's not like the the one pay-per-view we watched with the WWF where it seemed everything ended unclean. Yeah, not right. Exactly. This is fine because it felt like, again, some of it too, it felt like, I mean, don't get me wrong, the foreign object, the the solid metal key kind of dumb. But you would feel like these would be four guys who would, if it got if someone started getting the better of them, they wouldn't be shy about using a foreign object. Not at all. So not at all. Um, yeah, and and again because the Road Warriors, um, I'm not going to say we didn't see the best of them because they still were great, but seeing them when they're younger, you know, like what were we eight, nine years old, or or ten years old when this was going when this met. Like I, would, I would have been, I would have been ten. Right. We like this is like when they're probably in their physical prime. I mean, not that they weren't in their physical prime in the WWE. I mean, they were always brick shit houses. But this is when they probably had like you know were not in pro- pain all the time. I would imagine this was. Yeah, this know, was was their prime prime. Yeah, and yeah. this is why they're the best tag team. This is, you know, when you see them, like, at this time, you can even appreciate them more because we, you and I consider them the best tag team, seeing them when they weren't even in their prime. It's like only seeing Gretzky when he was on the Rangers, you know, like, it just... Right. Or Chase Utley on the Dodgers. Yes. Something like that. that. Yeah. Just want to have a catch, Chase. Look, sometimes you need to see Bulls Jordan, not Wizards Jordan, right? Oof. Wizards Jordan was awful. So, this match, excellent. No ifs, ands, or buts. It's a classic big man match. Um, and that brings us to the Thunderdome match. Oof. The gimmicks, the gimmicks they would roll out. They didn't even know the gimmicks they could roll out. So, Ric Flair and Sting with Ole Anderson, not as their uh, manager, but as their Terminator. Because what the hell is a Terminator? Uh, each team had to have a designated Terminator. I, it, it does, it, why? Just why? It doesn't even make sense. Couldn't you just label the managers? Or corner man. They could have been labeled corner men. Something. Right? Because 89, 
It's, you know, like everybody knew in boxing if you threw in a towel, that meant someone would quit. They should have just been called cornermen. Right. No reason to, you know, besmirch the name of Arnold Schwarzenegger. This is before T2, for God's sake. Yeah, this is T1. He's just trying to take his heat. <laughs> um, and then, and then they're, they're, they're taking on the great Muda and Terry Funk. Um, Terry Funk with a six-pack, by the way. Terry Funk looked great. And also, just like blind aggression. Just walking out and anybody who was like near him would like he'd be threatening to hit. It was, it was great. <laughs> and seven years later, I would be crying to Desperado as he won the ECW title. <laughs> Talk about your just Full. polar opposite gimmicks in this whole card. <laughs> you had Terry Funk... You had Shane Douglas. You had Tommy Rich. Just some short time later, they would be playing the polar opposite of what they played. Of what, of what they are there, yeah. Crazy how that works. I mean, look, it does say something for those guys, right? That um, they could do it and have success. Two totally different characters. Not everybody can do that. This is true. I don't think Ultimate Warrior could play any character than Ultimate Warrior. I mean, he had to change his name because he couldn't even play himself. <sighs> um, formerly Sting's tag team partner, Ultimate Warrior. He is not progressing as much as this former tag team partner. Little jab. Little jab that JR took at the Ultimate Warrior in 89. He did. Little snarky. At this time, though, so Warrior and WWF, what is that, around 1990-91 that he really hits the scene? No, it's it's around this time. Is it? That 90, April of 90 would be when he beat Hogan. So he's that building 90? up in so when, Yeah. When does he gorilla press was that SummerSlam 88 when he when he comes out and blitzes honky tonk man your best friend it is it is correct 88 i thought that was 90 for some reason okay no no nine, so 90 it's... 90 we watched SummerSlam, and that was his first title defense against rude gotcha gotcha so yeah that was a that was a jab at the warrior in october of 89 yeah um basically saying he couldn't wrestle live over the air I don't want to talk ill of the dead. Either do I, my friend. Um, I didn't say it. Jim Ross did. So, what we can say is this, right? Because Sting, for a while, plays this surfer gimmick, right? And I think that this is the best version of Sting is blonde hair, pastel. Um, Crow Sting, great for the time, but when you look at both, I think I think we both agree that Surfer Sting is a little bit. Maybe it's just about our childhood, but what I prefer. I prefer I prefer Blonde Surfer Sting. Yeah, one hundred percent. So um, obviously Sting though is able to change his gimmick at some point in his career, where Ultimate Warrior really isn't. Um, that being said, Ultimate Warrior has more of a presence to him. All kinds of charisma. But that's about as long as it goes. <laughs> and then right. the bell rang. Right, right. Where Sting actually can wrestle. 
absolutely could go 45 to an hour with Ric Flair um, so um, and then it's what, what you prefer right uh, as a watcher as a fan absolutely what you prefer which do you prefer at that point do you like the presence there's nothing wrong with that or do you like the wrestling because Sting doesn't have the same presence even as Crow Sting it's it's all in what what your tastes are yep exactly so um, they make a big deal about the Thunderdome cage being electrified it even sets on fire before the ring Yes. Before the match, rather. That the great Muda has to put out. Well, it it was it was doomed from the start. It really. It, they had like weird. So they've got these like fake power lines going through it, and then it has like other weird props on it. It's like Halloween decorations, like my sister-in-law would put up. Yeah, like they went to like par- they like, decorated the cage. Yeah, like a party city. Um, stuff on it. So anyway, the cage is supposed to be electrified, but I did. Did they tell these guys? Do we know? They, I, they couldn't have known. They, they tried to, like, you know, say it's electri- electrified, electrified, to the point where actually the color commentator actually spoke up after two hours of silence and says, "I don't know about this electricity. I don't like electricity, and I'm not giving them mouth to mouth." The hand of God, that's what he said. Bob Caudle with the line of the night. He cut a promo on electricity. I'm like, wow. He's turning He's like, on. I am not a fan of electricity. If they get mouth-to-mouth, JR, I'm not going down there. He's turning Amish know. at the end of the night. I'm sure the 10,000 people, there might be a doctor in the house. We're not going to the color commentator to give a mouth-to-mouth. Relax, Bob. Go back to being silent and let Jim Ross... Yell out baseball card statistics. <laughs> um, so uh, the whole gimmick of electrified goes out the window within three seconds when Terry Funk's climbing all over the cage before the match starts. Not <laughs> the power went out. Yeah, just the fuse box. It's blown. It's, blown. it's flipped. It's a shame. It's a shame. They tried so hard with these gimmick matches, too. They really... They tried. There was war games. There was scaffold matches. There was the 60-man battle. They were big in the gimmick matches. They did really like the gimmick matches. They they did a lot of the... Um, like the Cuban strap match that we watched recently uh, on a WWF card. They did a lot of those. Like I mean, obviously, it would be called something different, you know, depending on the talent it. Know, Texas bull rope or whatever. If uh, if Hell in a Cell had a father, I think this would be it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It looked like a Hell in a Cell type thing. And right. they kept trying to say they can't get out of there. <laughs> but they never could really show the top of it because there's no electric. So I don't know what they were going for with it. But It kind of had an angle to it because Sting at one point, like Tarzan swung off of it. It's... It didn't. It was unnecessary. They did. There was no blood, too. Yeah, there was. Like you think a match like this in NWA would have blood, but apparently the PA commissioner, sports commissioner, banned it. Oh. Because that's why we didn't see blood. So there was really no 
real reason to have this. Um, so, 24 minutes or, or so of, of this match. Um, look, not a bad match. Totally didn't need the cage, though. It just didn't need the cage. It was a waste of a weight to bring it down. They didn't use it. It's like Hell in a Cell matches are today. Like, you expect blood. You expect big falls. Big bumps, yeah. Like none of that. Really none of that except Sting, I think, did a splash he, from he, the cage. Yeah, well, he swung. There were, like, a, there were ropes at one, on one part of it. And he, like, swung off this rope to do a, yeah, big Stinger splash, basically. So they were good. They were good spots. They were solid spots. I just don't think it lived up to this electric chair type cage. Here's the thing, and not just that, but when you see Terry Funk, you expect and that kind of match, you expect something. Absolutely, you expect you expect blood in Philadelphia, one hundred percent. Um, and we also didn't really get to see the uh, you know the best of the great Muda either, who has to take a bump from Bruno Sammartino, you know. Yeah, it seemed like Great Muda just pissed somebody off. Because I know the pay-per-view after this is Starcade, and he loses three times in the night. And he dumps his belt, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah I, he pissed somebody off around this time. Because I remember the Great Muda being a very good, entertaining wrestler to watch. and Different. Very different. Like, I gotta watch that guy. Exactly. Exact commanded attention. Yeah, it wasn't like everybody else. He had the the green mist, which was awesome. He had the face paint, right? Yeah, it came out yeah. like a like a very ominous like mask and robe. It was different. It was good. It was yeah. It commanded attention. So he had to have pissed somebody off at this time. He basically had no part in the match other than taking a bump from Bruno. He might have been jobbing him out, I guess. I guess. On his way out. Maybe he knew how bad this was going to be and didn't want to have a big part of it. Maybe he hated electric, like the color commentator. He didn't want to have to get mouth-to-mouth from um, Bob Caudle. Who does, really? Who does? Mrs. Caudle, maybe? I don't know. Maybe not. Probably not. Um, so the match itself, we get another, so we just go from a DQ to then we have Ole Anderson, um, knocking Gary Hart, which causes him to throw, to, to drop the towel, basically. The, yeah. The Terminator drops the towel. Mr. Sunshine Ole Anderson. Uh, <laughs> um, which then causes the match to end. And they start raising the cage while everybody's trying to figure out what exactly happened. I don't think the crowd was upset with the ending. They were. First, they were. The good guys went over. You send the crowd home happy. Although Flair is a good guy, just it doesn't work. I, no, it really doesn't. Dirtiest player in the game. That's that's his best gimmick. Heel Flair is best Flair. Yes. Yeah, baby face flair, not so much. Not a big fan. Not no, because he, he couldn't cut the promos he he was great at 
as a baby face. No, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work the same way. He's he's not a train. Say your prayers. Eat your milk. Eat your vitamins. Rather, drink your milk, guy. And it's not this, baby face. And at this time in '89, audiences weren't really into the complicated baby face. You know, it was like you're a good guy or you're not a good guy. There wasn't like there, there the, was no shades of gray. There was no guy you loved to hate. You know. Well, then it became trendy to just cheer the heel. Well, that I feel like in wrestling that starts a bit with the Undertaker. I don't know where it starts, so I, I'm not going to argue that. I feel like there was a point when I was a kid that the Undertaker went from. And it wasn't due to like anything he was doing, but it went from the guy, you know, the ominous bad guy, to people cheering him, and it was like not controllable. Like it seemed like the promotion didn't want that to be what happened, but it just was. I don't know who started it, but I remember now that you bring it up, it probably happened right around the time when Undertaker was wrestling Hulk Hogan, and he was getting cheered. Because everyone had grown stale of the Hogan. Of the Hogan, act. yeah. I mean, yeah. it was like six years into the Hogan whole thing, and people were just spent, I guess, for lack of a better word. Yeah, I, I look. You can only you can only take that, but for so long. But I, but I, my point was, is that I feel like that. And w- what are we talking about? Like ninety three, ninety four. Still well, before that. Uh, I would say ninety one, ninety two. Jesus, my timelines are way off. Um, Unfortunately, my timelines are not. Um, <laughs> but I feel like that is a little bit. We're not quite there yet, right? But that is a little bit of the the crowd not just buying what it is you're selling. It's almost like they they turn the wrestlers. Yeah, they have the voice now. A little bit. A little bit, and I feel like The Undertaker is the first one I can remember. Look, it, there could have been it others. It could be. Could be. Look, we saw yeah. the Freebirds on this card. They were not supposed to be the good guys. No. You know, like, but they were. The, the skateboarding guys were supposed to be the good guys. Yeah, but they're not. I mean, nothing against Shane Douglas. Like, they put on a good match. That gimmick's just terrible. It doesn't appeal to many. But does it appeal to a cold West co- or East Coast city that hates everything? I mean, like... <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say, Jack? We don't even like ourselves. We want to have two guys in pastels and blonde hair and just be like, this is who you have to cheer for? Well, Chip Cornette told us to cheer for him. Yeah. God damn! Cheer for these guys! <laughs> it just doesn't doesn't work. That. It, it, it's a bad gimmick. And, and to start that off, like, again, I feel like it's just, you feel like you're being, like, it's insisting on itself. Like. It's shoving it down your throat. Yeah. Like, I'm just supposed to like this? Why? Because I said something. <laughs> you're going to like Roman Reigns. Get, give me the guy who's really trying to entertain me, you know? Make it make it seem authentic. Make Michael it Hayes seem... was trying to put on a show, and he did. He worked really hard to do it. 
make it not seem forced. That's it. And that's, again, like when we get to many years later, that's why that whole Rocky Mahavia thing doesn't work. It just feels like you're trying too hard. He kind of looks like an actor, Dwayne Johnson. I don't know if you... I don't know if you've heard of him or not. There's a slight resemblance. I mean, do you think maybe they're related somehow? He's on the Instagram. You might want to look him up. I'll, I'll have to look into that. I'll yeah, Dwayne Johnson and Rocky Maivia kind of look similar. I'll have to do a little bit of research. I'm not sure that I'm buying what it is you're selling. Well, it's worth a Google. Google it. So... I know that we started this that we weren't really going to grade um, cards, but uh, we also kind of have a thing going now. A gimmick. So I'm going to give this a total of three popcorns out of five. I'm going to say C plus. So I'm going to go. You know what? It's 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 your average bar. It's your average bar wrestling show. B minus. B minus is the score. I think that I really do think it's a better than average show. And even though well, I had to rules. Even though I had to watch it over three three segments, this didn't leave me feeling disappointed. I mean I'm not they really botched the Thunderdome. Other than that, I don't really have a complaint other than a lot of these matches could have been shorter. The first half was tough. The second half was easy. Yeah, I think that's fair. Which yeah. gives you an at like a little bit better than average because you always end with like you you oh your feelings are shaped by what you ended with more than how you started. Agreed. You always want them you always want them going home happy. Yeah, who cares how it starts if it ends like crap? Yeah, the first first few matches were the me. There was no Maybe one in the building either. Maybe these guys shouldn't be in this territory. Yeah, but no one was in the building either, you know, really. So yeah. That 95 traffic gets the best of us, buddy. Well, look... Maybe some of these guys need to see, you know, they, they get a they don't get the pressure of all the fans being there, but they get the big card experience. Fair enough. Yeah. Like some of these guys, yeah. I mean, look, Fatu becomes uh, Rikishi. You know, like the Mid Midnight Express have a have a still a long career after this. You know, um, Tom Zank not might not not so much. Mike Rotunda's got a lot of doing people's taxes and selling them good stock tips. Uh, got a long career lot ahead of, of him. Lot of, lot of nice IRS quips that he gets. Um, yeah, he, 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 he comes around his own. This is solid, solid show, I felt. I, I agree. It was... He was too low. I'm going to go B-. Uh, I, yeah, B-3.5 out of 5, you know, a little better than average. Um... I would have liked to go to this show as a 10-year-old. I will say that. I will say I came away from this not feeling the same way I did with um, that that early 90s card that we had watched. What was that, SummerSlam 92? SummerSlam 90. 90. This was much better than SummerSlam 90. And this was 10 months before that, so yeah. Like, And it's not. E it's really not even close. No, I agree with you. 
100%. Like, this was a... If you like wrestling, this was a wrestling show. The sport, not sports entertainment. Whereas, like, when you when you watch that SummerSlam 90, it was all costume and gimmicks for the most part. It's the difference between an action movie and a cartoon. Uh, I would even say a little bit of the difference between an action movie, like or like a horror movie and a drama. That's fair. That's fair. But this is definitely a more reality-based, sporting, athletic company at and the time. You can see the philosophies, how different the philosophies of the two organizations are. What polar opposites again. And the reality is that um, while they don't go, like WCW doesn't go on to best WWF for some years, um, the reality is they were more built for that time, you know, kind of the golden era of wrestling. Um, Their philosophy had more primed them for that. it's they just, just didn't have the money the NWA, the NWA had. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, Ted Turner bought it, but how much financially was he in, you know, actually was he willing to give? Yeah. I think that he, it, did it, he did it for funsies, I think. But also, like, he could fill up some of his networks, time slots, you know. Like easy, easy, easy programming. Yep, exactly. And I think that that's really where it came from was like, I don't have to have much hands-on to this, and it can fill up my dead time slots with a dedicated audience. Saturday at 6.05. Right between Andy Griffith reruns. (laughs) Um, And then basically it shows that, because all they did for a little while was was pilfer talent. They didn't build, you know, like, that's what they did. That's what McMahon did in the 80s. I want to be fair. It's not a bad thing. Is like let someone else pay for them to get you know get their uh, cut their teeth, and you pay you know you bring them over when they're a finished product or a more finished product. It's not a bad business plan. It's it, it's signing free agents versus draft picks. Right. You could but you could only do that so long, right? And the, and the, I, the the same thing would be would be said here. You can only do that, but for so long. Um. You can spackle holes, but you need to have a foundation. If your house is built only of spackle, it will eventually collapse. Like the Philadelphia Eagles of today. It's just you have to you have to have a mixture of both. There has to be some semblance of a mixture. Yeah, it can't all be one. Because you're not going to hit a home run every draft pick. No, and you you hope that what you now you know fifty percent of them that would be an amazing rate. It's a good you know? Absolutely. Um, but you can't hit 10 and think that you're going to fill the, the rest up with with free agents. You pay a premium for free agents because you're bidding against other people. You're paying for accomplished talent yeah, rather than having players on a rookie contract. Well, also just um, if you pay – you when guys decide they're going to go in free agency, they want to get paid. So you pay a premium. For it. That's just the way it goes. It's the way of the world. Way to business, my friend. It's – you know, um, coming from a hockey fan, you almost, 
you know, that's almost impossible because you overpay for free agents so much in that sport. So, um, yeah. So I, I, you know, overall it could have been about 35 minutes to 40 minutes shorter, but if that's my biggest complaint and it actually isn't with the product I had to watch with my eyes, I'll take it. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because I, I don't think I, looking back, I don't think I've seen, I seen this pay-per-view. So it was a first time for me. First time. Rare. First time for me as well. Um, they had a kind of like a night of the living dead, like the, um, maybe the color remake um, artwork similar-ish um, in the beginning. Like a, yeah, I had some tombstone. I, I liked it. I liked the whole Holly, Halloween gimmick. It was good. It was yeah. good. So you had pitched to me two, I think it was two WCW cards before we got back to our WWF ones. Do you remember what the second one was? I think it was Halloween Havoc 92. That's back in Philadelphia? Back in Philadelphia. Let's just double check our work here. Are we using Common Core math? Don't get me started. Uh, yeah, it would be um, Halloween Havoc 92. So uh, We're not letting this Halloween thing die just yet, everyone. No, we're going to keep it going. And Halloween Havoc, I think that you're more right than I was. Halloween, I always thought it was like Great American Bash or Starcade. I think Halloween Havoc is their premier card. I think, think you... That's only going right. off of what Eric Bischoff said. I'm not going to speculate but is Bischoff in control like when we're watching these cards is is he kind of like the general manager or whatever no no he doesn't come along until well later I would say 93 94 okay and he would take over around 94 right and then it's what a a year and a half later that it starts he's he's like this this C team announcer in 92 93 but then he because of his look and the way he is, he's a genius, a TV genius. He takes control of like 94, 95. Makes, makes a lot of sense. So you want to hear a, a heel thing here, Billy? Because you brought it up. Because you brought it up. I don't have any kids, so I don't really have much skin in the game. But uh, Common Core Math uh, is a pretty important math philosophy. I, 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 wait, what? So I don't like electric electricity. So before, I mean, I I don't want to. I don't know how many of it. Look, if you want to stop listening, go for it before I go off on 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 it. So basically, I don't know if you know why Common Core Math um, came about. Um, I, I do not. So basically, we do not do as good in math as other countries do. Um, specifically, specifically like um, Russia and Ukraine and then as well as well as um, China Japan um, so when they looked at how um, how we could do better prepare it's it no country is smarter than another country you know like it, it there's reasons for these things so um, when they looked at how we could get kids to be better at more advanced mathematics um they talk to the people who do like they talk to a lot of people who are very good at advanced mathematics in our country 
and then he discovered that they don't see math and formulas the same. They see them more as like philosophies rather than like memorization. So they wanted to teach kids how to see math less as like two plus two equals four and more about how to see the pathways to get to four, if that makes sense. I, I get it. I definitely get it. I mean, I'm not a parent frustrated on how to teach myself how to do this with a frustrated kid. I get it. But I don't know about you. Um, but I think I can count on one hand the amount of friends I, I have that can do calculus. So um, the, goal, the goal is is to get more people to be able to do that level of math. And what we're doing, the, or what we were doing, you and I grew up, doesn't really work because it was like the very exceptional that could get there, not the average. And a lot of those countries, the average can get there. That's That's an interesting tidbit I never thought of, my friend. Yeah. Now, can any of this help my 0-9 fantasy football team? So, you know, for the last six years, I had tricked myself into thinking that there were, like, a lot of very good statistical things to look at. Um, and it has been very good for me. But this year has slapped me in the face um, to the point where I don't even think I understand the game of football anymore. As the legendary Chris Collinsworth said, I don't even know what's a catch anymore. No. Um, but basically where I'm at is I'm just going to chalk this up to my bingo card. I didn't have 0-9 on my 2020 bingo card. Billy, this is my first losing season for the league that I run in seven years. It's tragic. You almost sound broken up about it. I'm not going to say I'm broken up because it is like, it just is what it is. Um, my hat goes off to people that were able to do well, um, in this time, uh, just was not me. <laughs> and this is my first losing season. And I think it's going to be my first season in the bottom tier of scoring and like even longer. Um, so it just is. Just chalk this up the Ronin, my friend. Sucks like everything else. R.I.P. Alex Trebek. Yeah, I mean, exactly. 2020 needs to end soon. I mean, it will in like six weeks. Uh, December 32nd. (laughs) We'll get there, I promise. If you say so. Um, Yeah, so. Hey, look, the Mandalorian's back. It's okay. It's we're going to be okay. Thanksgiving's on the horizon. Big eating holiday. Big eating holiday. Very excited. You're going to be with the fam? Of course. Of course. Lots of turkey for the keto kid. The keto kid. Lots of turkey, no potatoes. No the keto guido. No stuffing, no potatoes. Just give me the turkey. Gobble, gobble. <laughs> no bunless hot dogs? Eh, maybe throw a string bean in there down my tea rope. Yeah, because you could go with, like, you can have garlic and butter, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I could just throw that, like, tequila shots. Ah, throw that throat. on the string beans. You'll be good. You'll be in good shape. Forget about it. All right. So that's Halloween Havoc 1989. We will be back 
later this week for Halloween Havoc 1992. Pre-watch. Alrighty then. All right. I will see you when I see you. Goodbye. <laughs>